Hey everyone, welcome to the Sugarcane Podcast, where we give you your tastiest tidbits of crypto. I'm Rudy. Hey, and I'm Sheldon. I'm the founder and CEO of Sugarcane. And we got some fun information for you about crypto. So a lot of my life growing up, you know, since 2013, learning about crypto, understanding different transactions, a lot is happening in the background. Right now, I have different apps handling everything for me. And every time I explain blockchain to people, I kind of get stumped. I kind of don't know how to explain it, but I kind of understand how it works. And I'm hoping actually, Sheldon, you can clear that up for me today. How does blockchain work? <laughs> that's, that's a huge question, dude. <laughs> um, <laughs> like it's taking a bit of a step back and looking at um, what blockchains really do, right? They come to some agreement on some state of the world. So if you think about how, let's say you have your bank account, you have all your transactions in your bank account. Um, that's how much money you have right, available to you. And every time you basically swipe your card at, let's say, CVS, now you update that kind of transaction log with a new transaction. Say you just bought $5 of cereal from CVS, right? So you can think of blockchains as a way to basically take that kind of step-by-step -step world uh, transaction, state of the world, um, and have that be available for anyone to see. So now anyone can actually see how much balance each person has and see that changing over time. So like if I'm using a credit card, Visa knows that I have $5,000 or $10,000 worth of credit on my credit card. Mm -hmm. They know that I just spent $5 at CVS to buy some cereal. Mm -hmm. So you're saying with blockchain, everyone knows what I have and how much I have. Yes and no. So you can make it so that people can now be able to see how much balance you have and if you now want to transact with me, you want to send me $5 and mm -hmm. we're using some app to do that. Now the app knows that you have $5, I have $0 and now you're going to send that $5 to me. It's now our state changes from being you have $5 to now zero and now I have $5 from you. That's a way to actually think about it. But then who manages it? Right now I know Visa is managing my credit. I trust them. What's the difference? Yeah. So the difference there is that like in the Visa scenario, you have your own bank at Chase. I have my own bank, let's say at Bank of America, right? And we basically use Visa to communicate from Chase to Bank of America that now that money moved, right? But in the state of blockchain technology, instead of having Visa as one company and Chase as one company and Bank of America as one company, we now have Sheldon as one entity and Rudy as one person. And we're using the blockchain to basically update the balances so instead of it being like you have your separate organizations to manage that and control that, now anyone can actually manipulate that and control that with your kind of approval of that. So then does everyone have the same, I guess, ledger on what's going on? Yeah. So they essentially have the records, right? If you think about a ledger as like just the records of who has what balance, um, everyone has visibility of that. And as we're updating that and changing that, they, the changes can't be done without, let's say, my approval of that or your approval of that. But um, anyone can see the balances. So that makes it so that anyone can interact and transact with each other without having any central party in the middle. That sounds like a lot of hassle. What's like the benefit of doing this? <laughs> I mean, like, Visa is a lot easier just to let them handle it. What's the benefit of this? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with you. Um, from the outset, it looks like it's pretty complex. Like, what's the point, right? But if you're in a scenario where you now are transacting in a certain part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. And banks don't want you to transact with that person. You get cut off in the banking system, right? Or if you're in an industry, like in the US, for example, um, let's say I, I approve this or endorse it in any way, but like 
Um, yeah, like, I don't know, somewhere in Africa or like Indonesia yeah. or even like, even in Europe, it's yep. kind of tough in some places. Yep. South America. It's yeah. <laughs> a lot of places, yeah. actually. Yeah, like if you're actually <laughs> sending money from the U.S. to, let's say, South America, it'll cost you about $17, $18, and it'll take three days for that person to get the money, right? If you're sending money back to your family in another country, that's also very expensive. Um, it takes a long period of time. Um, and so that's kind of ways in which you can actually reduce the time and also cost of doing that transaction. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And like what I've been voicing, I think for myself and trying to explain to others how important this is like globally, I feel like in the States, it's super easy to change money. Like I have Venmo, PayPal, Cash App. We have so sure. many options to move money around between Americans and, and for free. Mm -hmm. But as soon as you go to a different country, it's a little bit harder. And to change money between countries, it's a lot harder. Yeah. And I think that's my favorite use case of crypto is that you get really interact globally with anybody you want. Yep. And also the reality is that like um, a lot of parts of the world, they don't have access to U.S. dollars. And so what that means is that their own um, currency um, can get devalued by their government or it can get uh, manipulated in ways that really impacts like let's say I earn a hundred bucks a day and let's say tomorrow the cost of bread goes from $5 to $20. That's a four times jump. And so now it costs me four times as much just to pay for that bread because of just the currency manipulation. And so even though I make the same amount of money on a day to day basis, it costs me more to live. And that's not an over exaggerated example either. It's happening yeah. in some countries like Argentina. So 100%. that's a real issue. And like, yeah. so now that we have this picture of, all right, we have a bunch of computers talking to each other, approving transactions that we incur. Mm -hmm. Is there, does everyone have to prove like how many, how many computers are needed to say that's enough to say that's a legitimate transaction? What happens if one person is approving all transactions? Can that even happen? Yeah. And so to, to kind of describe that, I'll kind of talk specifically about Ethereum as a blockchain. So you think about Ethereum as a blockchain, there's Bitcoin as a blockchain, and there's a lot of people around the world who run what's called nodes. So these are different computers that are kind of hosting the, the Bitcoin or Ethereum blockchain. Um, and so the way that, that works is that there needs to be 51% of the people like saying um, something that's false for it to get like approved, right? So if you think about everyone across the world, um, there's about, let's say, tens of thousands of computers running this infrastructure. And so if half of those people basically say something is, is invalid, then that's how you can actually update the blockchain with the invalid information. So that's a large part of people. Do these people actually go on their computers and click yes or no? How does that, like, or is it just all automatic? No, it's all automatic. So their computers are actually having some like rules that they go through to verify if something is correct. And if they, if the actual rule is checked that they, they approve it, they can actually push it forward. So it's not like you're sitting on a computer, like mashing keys to say yes or no on this <laughs> transaction. <laughs> it's all happening automatically. And so it's all done in the background. And so someone has to actually intentionally say something bad and put that, put that rule into place for it to, to go through and convince half of the other network to also say that, that bad thing for it to actually, yeah. Yeah. So, so that sounds pretty hard to do as a person to actually try to manipulate over 51% of what's happening now. In Bitcoin yeah. or Ethereum. Yeah, that's the idea. And like, if you think about like the total like market cap of Ethereum, for example, 
um, or even just crypto generally speaking, it's about a trillion dollars. And so you basically have to convince essentially about $500 billion worth of value to say something bad for that to get approved on chain. So just to give you a context of like how much money it would take for that to be, be overturned. So maybe if Apple puts all of its wealth into Ethereum, it might just be able to change it over. <laughs> I mean, like a short dollar company. The, the, the problem is that like also you have to keep doing it multiple times. So like if you did it once and you get kind of um, uh, kind of punished for that, you lose your money. And so now you just burned half a billion dollars and then you have to keep doing it over and over and over again. So. <laughs> oh, wow. So you just know, well, there's no easy way to do it, huh? Yeah, no, this is not, not like a, I don't know if you have $5 billion sitting in your bank account that you want to burn. <laughs> that would be nice, but no, I don't. <laughs> so then, all right, then how do I get, like, how do I get someone into this? If people are asking me, Rudy, I want to invest into it. That technically sounds good. I want mm -hmm, to sure. invest into crypto. What's like the easiest way? What's your go-to? Yeah, so historically, if you're trying to get into crypto, you'd use something like Coinbase, right? If you want to buy Ethereum or buy Bitcoin, um, or even buy any of the long tail of like crypto assets. Um, you basically go onto there, create an account there and buy whatever token you want. But the reality is that like blockchain is much more than just like the token itself. It's actually about a whole new world of like financial services. So if you're thinking about like lending money or if you're thinking about getting some type of return on whatever investment you have, there's something that you actually can enable now that you have this kind of new financial primitive financial world. So, uh, SugarCane, actually, funny enough, is a product that enables you to actually get access to a number of different financial services that are backed by blockchain technology. So you actually can get um, returns from different types of investment that are pretty stable or pretty safe. But I keep hearing like all these exchanges getting hacked or these yeah. different crypto companies getting hacked and people losing their funds. And just how do I get this crypto knowing that my funds are safe or like if no one's doing some say, shady acts with them? Yeah, so that's kind of the difference between like CFI, which is like centralized financial institutions, like Coinbase or Binance or last year FTX kind of took a big um, hit in the in the in, in whatever they're doing because they're doing kind of shady stuff. And there's also DeFi, where it's like more decentralized finance, where they're actually smart contracts on the blockchain that can't be altered unless you have five billion dollars that you want to burn or five hundred billion dollars you want to burn. <laughs> um, so it's kind of difference between like centralized entities, which is just people controlling it at the end of the day, versus like DeFi, which is more decentralized finance. Um, the blockchain controls it. It's a lot more expensive to manipulate. Um, it's temper, temper resistant. And so that's why kind of building blockchain, building technology based on DeFi products is much more sustainable because it's not anybody in the middle that can manipulate it. So it sounds like DeFi is actually safer than CeFi. Yeah. And with the browser. Yeah, but the problem is that like the DeFi experience is pretty clunky and like you have to know very technical things right now to basically be able to access it. But that's kind of the problem we're solving with Sugarcane. I mean, I guess that makes sense, but I don't know. It just feels like more comfortable. I guess I guess what I'm used to is just giving it to my information to a company, setting up yep. my bank account with a company and then buying it and leaving it there. Then I don't have to worry about anything. So that's going to be hard to implement in DeFi, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'll be honest, like historically speaking, um, that would have been the approach, right? Like it would have been easier to say, hey, I'll give my money that I've saved up in my bank account over to an FTX um, and have them basically make me money or like be able to have me invest money through them. But the reality is that like you're still trusting that entity to be a good steward of it and not 
take it and do whatever they want with it. All right. So what you saw in like the FTX scenario um, is that they were basically using customer funds to invest their in their own like products or their own like assets. And in that scenario, you as a user ne never knew that like Sam Bankman-Fried was pushing buttons to actually move your money without you knowing. And it's kind of just like people who um, have went through the experience, they realize that that's kind of the negative side of it. If you trust a centralized entity, they can take your money and do whatever they want with it. But in the blockchain crypto space, you don't have to do that, right? And that was just a matter of like building experiences that make that whole process easier. And that's kind of, not to shield too much, but that's kind of what we're doing, trying to do as well. That's pretty insane how yeah. Sam Bankman Freed was able to actually just do that underneath everyone's noses, I guess for a while <laughs> until he got caught. Yeah, he, he torpedoed like $10 billion of value, which is terrible. <laughs> That's, and it blows my mind. It's like, puts crypto's name through the dirt. Yeah, for sure. Even though the IDF crypto was to not allow this. Yep. And it still doesn't allow this, yeah. but the centralized entities can still make that happen. Yeah. Like, what are people doing about it now? Like, there's Coinbase now. I think Binance is getting some heat from from the acting shady. Yeah, for sure. This sounds like decentralization and being open and transparent is the only way forward. Is there still room for centralized exchanges? I think honestly, yes, just because like still on ramping into this, this kind of different financial system um, requires um, some handholding. And to be honest, like Binance, Coinbase's of the world have been really good ways to get assets into um, crypto, into blockchain cryptocurrencies. Um, but like the reality is that like if we're going to grow forward as an industry, we need to move away from having a dependence on CFI or kind of um, the Coinbase's of the world, the Binance's of the world to get assets on chain. So it just takes some time. Yeah. And like also like uh, a lot of drifters, a lot of scammers came into the space over the past couple of years. And so even though it last year hurt a lot, I think it was definitely necessary to clear out a lot of the, the bad actor, bad actors and like kind of shady, shady stuff that's going on. Yeah. And those bad actors, I mean, there's bad actors in every industry and in every yeah. aspect of life. Yeah. And hopefully that's a, you know, hopefully they're out of crypto, but there's always something. So from what I've gathered so far today, it's that technically speaking, there's a record, a ledger yeah. on all these nodes yeah. on different computers around the world yeah. that equal to some uh, its current rate, about a trillion dollars mm -hmm. for Ethereum specifically, and I guess Bitcoin separately. They speak to each other, they confirm the transactions, and I believe they're also rewarded for doing that. Yep. And then for a user to use crypto, then first step is just moving US dollars or fiat money onto some type of exchange whether that be a centralized exchange or a DeFi app that has ability to convert from a credit card, debit card, or bank account into cryptocurrency. Mm -hmm. And once you're on that, you're kind of free to explore it once you move it off an exchange. Yeah, pretty much. Um, right now, again, it's still a bit complicated to access like DeFi products, DeFi specifically. Um, but again, that's some things we're trying to solve and, and figure out. But yeah, for the most part, you kind of summarized it pretty well. <laughs> nice. I think I got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> yes, finally. Now I can't wait to explain to somebody else in the future. Jeez. <laughs> I hope this 
helped anyone else out that was listening. Uh, definitely want to know if you have any more questions, let us know. Hopefully I or Shuriking, uh, <laughs> I or Sheldon, which uh, can help us answer these questions. You know, again, thank you for listening, everyone. And stay tuned for next week because I am going to ask more questions and more questions until it's drilled in my head <laughs> and Sheldon's tired of me. <laughs> I got a lot of patience, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running low after this episode, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's the basics. It's the hardest. <laughs> get the beginnings out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you everyone. Uh, yeah. Follow us and stay tuned for next week's episode. Mm-hmm.